author, and she's very popular. And you know, she's one of those women who's like every moment counts, and she's churning her own butter, looking out in the horizon with her like six homeschooled kids. And I'm like, I am a failure. I suck. <laughs> Now we're talking. Hoppo, what's up? I'm good, man. I'm so glad that you're here. Man, I'm glad I, to be here, too. Yeah. Th- th- uh, man, I, I've been looking forward to this and sitting down and chatting with you. Yep. Um, it's been cool kind of get, getting to know you over the last couple couple weeks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's been crazy how it's all come about, too, which, I mean, it shouldn't be of any surprise to you or the people that are listening to this that things would just happen as they happen. Kind of a supernatural thing. I mean, I... I uh, woke up one morning just kind of thinking about you right and then you reached out through tea yeah sort of i don't know yeah. and then at the end of the day we were we were chatting on the phone and- yeah uh so i woke up at probably around six fifteen in the morning and i had this like real strong urge to be like oh well you know we i feel like i need uh more connection mm-hmm. and i feel like i need somebody that's a bit more constant in my life that can serve as a bit of a mentor, somebody that I can like bounce things off of. And my father-in-law is also a pastor. Um, my wife is very much on fire herself. And I wanted somebody though that was not family so that I could have this relationship with. And so um, I was thinking this in my mind and then I was thinking about, so first I thought about my father-in-law and I was like, ah, but I don't want to, uh, change the dynamic of our relationship sure absolutely and then i was like oh, what about t's friend darren i wonder if huh that might be interesting and so i had a conversation with her it was early in the morning it was like probably six forty-five in the morning i had a conversation with her just about this thought that i've woken up with and she's like okay yeah no that's interesting um and then we went about our day and then you reached out to t like she didn't reach out to you. I think you reached out to T or something. And like it, it was weird how it all happened. And I was, and yeah, by the end of the day, you and I were on the phone and it was crazy. Yeah, it was. It was really crazy. And I don't even really remember how it happened. I just remember yeah. thinking about you that morning and then actually chatting with you on the phone that afternoon yeah. and that you had mentioned to T, you know, that the possibility of maybe us chatting or something. So, but even crazier. <laughs> Was last night. Yeah. Yeah, running into you guys. Have we we haven't even talked about this yet. Right. T left here last night after you guys were together. Yep. We were... Uh, Which, that was an awesome podcast. Probably like two hours of her just like deep diving into her story, her upbringing, and just everything that Jesus has done to interweave this incredible... She's incredible. Yeah, so it was a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and she left here... Didn't tell you where she was going. No. Made a couple of recommendations for you guys in kind of closer to this area in terms of places to go eat afterwards or yeah. whatnot. Yeah. She wasn't supposed to come to where I was. I oh, was she wasn't? To, no, she wasn't supposed to come to where I was. I was supposed to take an Uber home because that's my normal like get down. Yeah. She ends up calling me. I just happened to be wrapping my podcast and was just like, yeah, sure. Yeah, come by. Like she came by. We were walking out. <laughs> Finishing up a conversation, we're walking out the door, 
and you guys show up. Isn't that crazy? Out of out of everywhere, out, out of all the places that we could have, there's arrived. probably a thousand places in LA that were open at that time on a Monday, uh, and this was probably like on the bottom half of the list, I imagine, like of of obvious choices. So, it just yeah, crazy. so God, man, and like and and that's really been like this trip. Like it, this trip has been like. On, on one hand, a lot of work, you know, mm-hmm. and that we're just like driving and podcasts and driving podcasts. Right. And on, on the other hand, it's it's been almost effortless as far as hosting these conversations. Like right. gears work. I mean, it's really been like just this inc- like this perfect kind of podcast kind of tour <laughs> that's really been like God orchestrated yeah. and, and ordained. So all the way down to the conversations to just meeting up just supernaturally you know and then being able to continue this this really cool conversation yeah last night yeah you know? yeah and that to me i think was what was really crazy about it was then it turned into us getting a chance to hang out for two hours or so which and was really cool yeah yeah and that was completely you know nobody anticipated that and it just happened perfect yeah. perfect scenario okay dude so you are like you are uh you're interesting because you're an artist, yeah. Um, and, and but you're also very technical because yep. you're so you're like a DJ, you're a music producer, and all these mm-hmm. things. And it's, sometimes it seems like that there's a like a, a gap between like the more artistic, the more kind of analog you are, yeah. And then so there's kind of like the nerds and then the artists, and then <laughs> yeah. they kind of work together. But yeah. you're you're you kind of have like this this balance of both worlds. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I've also been told that um, I'm bilingual, not in the sense of like being able to speak uh, another language as as we know yeah. languages, yeah. Spanish, yeah. French, whatever. Yeah. But also in the ability to like understand the creative side, and then also the yes, more technical or even more. More of like the business side, the the part that's like usually a bit of a separation that's there, and so I kind of operate in this world of being able to be a conduit back and forth, and I can have conversations with creative people and creative artists, and we can vibe on that creative level, mm-hmm. and then I can go over here and have very you know technical conversations or like management type of conversations over here. And then just kind of be this like go between. That's amazing. Like going back to more like the origin of like your like your musical influences. Yep. Uh, what what kind of music really kind of shaped your um, uh, the trajectory of your music career? Uh, I mean, I feel like it's still being shaped. Uh, and yeah. I feel like um, this constant work in progress, especially when it comes to like my sound. But I think some of the earliest memories for me were, you know. I grew up in a household in which there were vinyl records and that was, you know, that's my era of like growing up and looking at my parents' vinyl collection and so like playing Stevie Wonder records and Earth, Wind and Fire records yeah. and like, you know, just like some really good soul and at the time, my dad, and still to this day, my dad is like really into jazz. Okay. Um, and so a lot of like smooth jazz, a lot of like classics and stuff like that. I mean, a huge Miles Davis fan. And so it was just really interesting because I didn't really understand the impact that that would have on my own ear until much, much later. So I think as most, um, as most like adolescents and teenagers are, like you're trying to find your sound. And usually that is anti whatever your parents are listening right, to yeah, right totally. so yeah. it's this very much like rebelling against that so got really into hip-hop got really into house music um started to get really into like reggae and caribbean music as well um after meeting my wife got really into like latin music so like there's all these like 
genres that blend together and i like to describe what i do and what i create as feel good music feel good sound you know okay. so stuff that has like this underlying feel good tone to it um and isn't necessarily you know subjugated to just this genre or that genre yeah amazing amazing yeah. now when did you get into actual djing I started DJing in 95, in 1995, and uh, yeah, again, at the time, you know, DJing looks completely different today in some regards, um, and in some ways it's the same, but um, the gear has changed quite a bit. So, you know, back then you needed to uh, go to the record store twice yeah. a week and yeah. buy records, and if you had the gear, you pretty much had the gig. So if you had the gear and you had the records, you had the gig. Um, and I feel like these days, uh, the the talent pool is a lot deeper. It's a lot wider. So um, it's so, changed a lot. So ninety five, because all right. So I know nothing, okay, about DJing. Yeah. All, right, all right. So I know nothing about the history of sure. it, or like you know, yeah, nothing. But like I would imagine, like nineteen ninety five DJing. So that would have been like 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 mostly hip hop there's a lot of hip hop and, and some techno or yeah, mostly yeah. like techno was big um i grew up in san francisco so okay. there was sort of this um this sort of subgenre of electronic music that was not quite techno and but was like rooted in sort of soul kind of vocals and stuff like that and it wasn't really quite house but it was called freestyle yeah and so it was like up-tempo records and like that's kind of some of the stuff that i got into and remixes of like popular records like that um, and yeah, I think like it really was a process of figuring out what is this? And I, you know, still to this day, I kind of, it's hard to believe that this is what I do for a living. Like, you know, I'm, my dad for a long time was very adamant on, you know, when are you going to stop messing around and like actually get a job? Like, <laughs> yeah, what are you right, doing right, with right, your life? Right. You know? And rightfully so, I think like in that era, the opportunities were a lot slimmer. It also was very much a young man's game, you know. Sure, it was, sure. and nobody, the, nobody was able to really sustain a career. Like very few people were yeah. able to sustain a career as a DJ. And I think today I'm a big part of this movement that is facilitating and promoting the idea of DJing as a career path. Um, and I'm writing curriculum. I'm working with schools right now in terms of being able to build out vocational tracks specifically for that. Yeah, I uh, want to dive into all this stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, now, when it comes to, all right, this is just kind of a, a curiosity question, sure. right? It's just an amateur yeah. curiosity. All right, so when you got, like in the old days, right, you'd have two record players, yep. okay? And so you'd have like one record with like with like the song. Yep. And then on, on your, and I understand like there's kind of like wedding DJs mm -hmm. where I, and, and maybe Maybe this is offensive. No, I don't know. Okay. It's not offensive so, like, at all. Like, I, I, I would going. imagine kind of like a wedding DJ yeah. or something would have, if, and if he was going to have records, he'd have like one record with the track, and then he's going to be queuing up the next record to, go, to yep. go seamless right yep. into the next. But it also seems like uh, back in like the, the 90s and stuff, there was a lot of like actual like scratching uh -huh. and like in sound effects and, yep. and that kind of stuff. So would you actually have like, like your, I don't know what you call it, your dominant track, and then on your second record player, you'd have like a like an effects record or like yeah yeah yeah. There's actually um, there are records specifically made that have just sounds on them. Okay. Um, and so like yeah, these were more of like scratch records or whatnot that you could then pop on like as the song is playing, you could pop this record on, cue it up to a certain sound, and kind of add yeah. a texture or a layer on top of that, and then. The same would apply, though. I think the 
the core of being a DJ is being able to create a mood, being able to create a vibe, being able to manage energy. And a big reason why you'd want to have two turntables and or at more than one turntable, what more than one source, mm-hmm. is to be able to create that seamless transition so that you don't ruin the mood, so that you don't kill the energy, right? So there's no silence that's there. And then the skillful part of this is instead of just sort of, you know, fading out from one song and then having another song start, like the enhanced version of that is trying to figure out what is the tempo of each of these records, right? Mm -hmm. Are these close enough in BPM where I could potentially blend them together and I could match the beats so that it's completely seamless and that it's almost undetectable to the average person, like what's happening. It's sort of like this magical moment where these songs are playing together. And then you're also figuring out like what part of this song and what part of this song is it where they can live together. And not every song is going to work, right? So it's like, it's, that's also part of the reason for the headphones and for like all this work. Like as this one song is playing and it might be playing for two, three, four minutes. As that song is playing, I'm trying to find a good match for this. I'm trying to find a good combination. And some of that is a little bit like figuring out what might work ahead of time. You know, in terms of practice right, and right. being like, oh, this song sounds really good with this song. And actually, the way that most people learn how to DJ is that. That's the way that I learned where it was like, all right, well, now this song, song A, sounds really awesome with song B. And when they say <laughs> this one part in song A, if I start song B at this one moment, that would that's it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great in practice. Yeah. But in in actual reality, out in the field, the chance of you messing that up live is very high. Sure. The fact that somebody might be in your ear at the time and you miss that one point, then what do you do? <laughs> right, right, right. Or let's say over time, song A and song B just become less and less popular. Or maybe song A stays popular, but song B is not anymore. Right. So then what do you do? Right. So like, and so when I first learned how to DJ, that was it. Was I was trying to like preset these combinations and what i've really learned over time and what i teach to people over time is that like it's very much about being present Mm. and it's very much about reading the room and reading the crowd it's really interesting i actually did years ago I, i i don't think you know this about me but years ago i had a seminary student come to me and the seminary student came to me and said I have a theory that I'd like to run by you. Yeah. I feel like there's a very strong parallel between pastors and DJs. And I was like, okay, I'm intrigued. Go on. Like, let's, let's dive into this a little bit Permission more. Permission to continue. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so, like, th- even this one concept of, like, being present, being able to read the room, being able to, like, like we're taking other people's word, essentially, Right. Like this was a song like this Stevie Wonder record. I didn't produce this like whatever Bob Marley record. I didn't produce either. I'm going to take these pieces and find a way to weave them together to be able to create something new or something fresh to be able to have a light bulb go off in somebody or a light like spark out of somebody that's here in this audience. And my job is to like, yes, have some idea of what are these pieces that I can use. But I think when you're really in this flow state is when you're making a lot of those decisions live and you're kind of leaning back on your training. You're leaning back on like what you already kind of know, but that when it's happening live, it's completely in that moment. It's super unique. You're vibing off of like the energy and the frequency that's in the room. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. 
as as artists or even probably and i think there's actually something that that testifies of just like the the human condition that when it comes to um creating mm-hmm. something whether you're creating a business or you're uh, an architect and you're going to cre- create a house yep. or you're an engineer and you're going to do a bridge is is really what we're all doing is we're taking these created materials mm-hmm. and we're reorganizing them and we're gardening them and we're stewarding them yep. in order to, to give something to the earth that can bring flourishing and beauty and and that the incredible part about that is that it's kind of like yeah is a pastor similar to a DJ is a DJ similar to a pastor or are we all kind of just reflecting the character and nature of God mm-hmm. and that we're image mm-hmm. bearers yeah. of of the divine and so when you see um, uh, uh, somebody with their ability to create art like we saw last night at the in, in the art district of, yeah. of LA yeah. they're taking created elements they're taking colors that have been created they're taking paints and paint brushes things that other people use their creativity to design mm-hmm. a paintbrush mm-hmm. and they're taking uh, elements and then they're go- going and co-creating and I just think that that's it, it's so fascinating yeah. this this thread that you see interwoven throughout humanity you see so much diversity and I think it's so easy to separate ourselves and put ourselves into these all these different categories and, and all these different tribes and everything but when you really look at when you really look at um, that, that this at this thing in us where where beauty has to exist and story has mm-hmm. to exist and 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 there needs to be a certain level of functionality so we can get places mm-hmm. on these incredible roads that it's so amazing the just the 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 thumbprint of God like the mm-hmm. thumbprint of the divine that you see and you and then all of a sudden when you start looking for the, when you start looking at the world that way, you're like, God, you're so incredible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I also like to think that there's, uh, especially like in my world specifically, it's easy to like look at a piece of gear and be like, oh, this is so much different than what I have. <laughs> um, and like, you know, what I have over here looks like this. And this looks like, oh, look at all these differences that are here. And to me, a lot of the way this that I like to approach that is to really approach from the other angle of the similarities that are there. Like eighty something percent of this is the same you wow. know, for the most part. Yeah. Like yeah. there's sure these like subtle differences where this knob is over here, or like this is a little bit bigger than what you're used to, or a little smaller than what you're used to. But it's all the same at the end of the day. Yeah, that's a like, good point. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, I feel the same way with people and people's like what they're doing and what the tools that are that they have, right? And we're all moving towards the same direction for the most part. Yeah. yeah. Now, going towards like, uh, uh, so you're an artist and mm-hmm. there's something that really resonates within you stylistically. And so what, the question I was going to ask you is, you're going into all these different environments, into all these different gigs, and, and that kind of and that kind yep. of thing. When when you're being invited and getting these these different opportunities, uh, are you kind of like are you looking at like here's this large kind of gig? This is such an amazing opportunity, mm. but the vibe required mm. in order to really um, serve this environment, uh, it's outside of your preference. Mm-hmm. And so because you're an artist and because there's this artistic integrity, right. you're like, I can't do this gig because it's just the kind of vibe. Um, or, or, or is that part of the challenge? Like this is like, like they want something that's super relaxed, super chill, mm-hmm. but I'm like, but I'm an upbeat DJ. You right, know what right, I'm right, saying? Right. So within the DJ kind of scene, yeah. is it is it kind of like, this is who I am, this is my artistic kind of thing, this is what I do, or is it like, like, Okay, this is going to be a challenge, but I'm going to figure out how to serve this atmosphere well. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's a balance, you know, and I think it's I think it's really important 
for any creative and any any person honestly to be able to figure out like who are you and what are your preferences and like there's going to be things that you prefer versus something else yeah but i also think having the ability to sort of see what the greater purpose is in that like a lot of times like you could look at something face value and be like ah, i just don't think that that's for me i don't like that might be a little bit more of a reach for me and then you go and do it and you're just like i never expected this to be what it is um i had a there was a really interesting one where an old agent of mine reached out um this was several years ago reached out to me and said hey we've got this gig for you um potentially for a new year's eve thing or um a super bowl thing um but i can't give you all the details yet i need you to say yes first <laughs> i'm just like all right like I mean, it's a Super Bowl thing. That sounds pretty awesome. Sure. Uh, clearly, you're holding back something, right? right? But all right. So <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'm in. What is it? He's like, you know, you are pretty much the only person I know of that could execute this, even though this isn't within your, your, your actual wheelhouse to do so. But I know that you could nail this. I was like, all right. What it, just what is it? It's all country music. And... I had never really been a fan of country music. It's not something that I know. It's not something that I listen to um, on a regular basis. I barely know like the, the you know some of these classic artists like a Garth Brooks or like a Dolly Parton or like a Johnny Cash. Like I know that, but like they were like, yeah, it's gonna be a bit more of like contemporary, current country, like pop country stuff. Yeah, and I'm just like, I what? Okay, all right. And so, yeah, that was like one of those instances where I, I definitely took it upon myself to say, all right, this is a challenge. Let's see, let's see what happens. And um, I spent three weeks studying country music. And it was interesting because what happened was I initially went to friends who I knew kind of had played country music here and there. And I had them kind of give me some recommendations and give me some lists and things like that. And then in sorting through that, there was this initial phase of, okay, that's interesting, but I don't feel connected to it. Mm -hmm. And then I had to go a layer deeper to then find my own sound in it and ended up really enjoying what I had put together and ended up really enjoying the genre. That's I mean, incredible. So this is like, or were you kind of like remixing? Like, yeah. Like it's, so and it's, was taking a completely different approach to it too of just, I was, you know, that idea of songs blending together is not very common in country music. Right, right. And so, like, true sort of country fans are not used to hearing that. Just the same way as it is in, like, salsa or something like that. Like, if you were to go to a salsa club, there's, like, an actual stop. Like, they want the music to stop yeah. so that they can yeah. switch partners and yeah. do all of that. And so to, to approach it from my style of, of doing things and actually have songs blended together and adding on other beats on top of things and, like, yeah adding in remixes and my own edits to things. People were just kind of blown away. They didn't really know what to make of it. Um, but I think in doing so, like one, I think there was something that um, helped confirm that that was the right thing for me in the fact that then I was then offered two other gigs after that to like do country stuff. And, and also, this was though a moment of me saying, this has been good and this was a good challenge for me, but I don't want to abandon like what it is that I really want to create. Like I think that's awesome, but I'm not going to then just shift my focus all the way over here. Important question for you. So did you did you wear a cowboy hat? 
<laughs> no, I, I this is my sort of normal getup, and I guess this is like close enough to like getting there. But no, I didn't wear a cowboy you, you're hat. Like, you're like didn't okay. get all the way there. You're yeah. like okay, I, I'll say yes, but right. I ain't wearing a cowboy yeah. hat. Yeah. yeah, and it was it was really interesting. I mean, like the um, what I also got out of the experience was just this um, reminder to me that. There could be things that I might, from the outside, be not so interested in, mm-hmm. but that there's something in it for me still, and there's something that I can bring to it as well that will provide something to somebody else. I think that's know? awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think I, I, I think that sometimes whether you're, uh, where, whether, well, especially w- with preaching, for example, um, when I go somewhere, I like. I like it when people are like, "This is what the theme is. Mm. The, 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 this is what we're going after." Right, right. Versus like, "Hey, like, how can I serve you? Well, just right. just do whatever you do. Just right. do whatever you want. Like, right. like, no, no, no. Like, there's something specific that I hope you guys are going after. Yeah. How can I serve yeah. your atmosphere? How can I serve this this thing that you're building? Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. And so I like. I think it gives me more of an opportunity to be creative. The more specific yeah. churches can be when they have when, when they have me come in. Yeah. Because the last thing you want to do is just like well well, and I think it's different. Like if you're performing uh, stuff that you've been working on, and you're kind of, you know, versus um, uh, versus I think sometimes in preaching there can be kind of just this this routine that we can fall into. Yeah. Like just this yeah. like this like this is just my thing. I do mm-hmm. it. I do it the same way everywhere I go. I, I don't. I mean, there's some people that I think that there's obviously comfort in that, Mm -hmm. right? And I think I know a lot of people on the music side that that fall into that same that very same thing. I mean, I I have friends. I sometimes will go and like speak at different conferences, like DJ conferences, and like um, you know, it's interesting to see people who like this is a creative field, yet you've taken all of the creativity out of it. In the sense that, like, you're reusing sets, like you're just kind of phoning it in, and I'm like, ah, I mean, yes, to some degree, maybe that's easier, but that's got to be hard to do. I mean, like, you're just not in it, you're not present, like, ah, it's horrible in some respects, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. To me, the the real joy out of all of this is being able to not have one day be the exact same as something else i mean that to me would be the ultimate nightmare is to wake up every day like groundhog's day right 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 right. that would be the ultimate nightmare i think for me yeah 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 that that, that, that's that's awesome so like there's this part of you that just that there where there's a value or an honor for spontaneity and in creating stuff on the fly and seeing where it goes and and then probably the thrill of doing that with 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 real people in, in engaging and yeah. yeah yeah and I have a whole project now that's like me leading a live band so like me with like four piece horn section oh, live wow. percussion yeah. T coming on and singing and and it's what people don't realize is that ninety percent of that is completely live like there's not it's all just us being in the moment and vibing off of one. Of, one another and like just kind of putting it together live yeah that's so awesome and i feel like people can feel that excitement that's even coming off of us because we're discovering things as they're discovering them and it's this very much like unique experience that everybody's going through now you're an artist you're creative but you you're different in that you have the heart of a teacher Mm -hmm. and and um and not just that but you've got an an incredible administrative skill set in that like you went from this heart just to teach to actually to build 
like an institution mm-hmm. where where DJing could where where, where people could be discipled in, yep. in the art of DJing. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Like, have you always loved teaching? Kind of, you know. You know, when I was really young, my mom was a teacher before she became a full time mom. Oh wow! And yeah. I didn't really put two and two together until probably fairly recently. And you know, there was whenever I was asked as a kid, you know how people are like, oh, so what do you want to be when you grow up? Right, right. And to me, like teacher was always one of those things that I think would be fun and i enjoyed you know mentoring younger kids when i was you know even in my teens and you know doing stuff within the church and doing stuff with like summer camps and things like that and being like a leader inside of that like a youth leader in that and i always liked that and i liked being able to see people you know a light bulb go off in people and i've like whittled it down to that for me which is that i think whether i'm performing whether i'm teaching something whether i'm hosting something that like my goal and my purpose is to help facilitate that light going off in somebody and if there's something that i can say or a way that i say it or the way that i explain something to me i get the same joy out of being able to show somebody something and then be like, oh, I get it, wow. And that feeling versus like me playing a particular set of songs and somebody being like, oh my gosh, I feel like I've just had an out-of-body experience. And like that's all the same in terms of what I get out of it. So um, yeah, I think that the this idea and this, um, this interest in giving back to other people um, really was fostered, you know, this was like, 15 years ago when we started the first school that like I helped create and it was I was somebody that wasn't formally taught this like Mm -hmm. I grew up in an era in which this wasn't recognized as that and I learned by doing and by making mistakes and by watching people and so I was also a bit skeptical in terms of like can this be taught maybe you just have it or you don't have it and and then very quickly I realized no this this definitely can be taught. And there's principles that are here and there's ways to create this foundation for people to then be able to stand on. There's certain things that are out of my control mm-hmm. in terms of being able to teach somebody something. Like I can give you certain tools, but how you use them, how you put them together, like that I can't control. I can kind of lay it all on the table though and have you pick from it. But yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting process. Yeah, and and I I would imagine also pretty rare. And I, when when when, and again, just kind of contrasting, what what you're doing with what with what I do in yep. in, in kind of in the church world. When you look at like the like the history of even the more kind of charismatic or supernatural kind of scene, mm. um, for for decades, you'd have guys that could that could do the stuff. You'd have guys traveling around with tents, packing mm-hmm. out tents, man, mm-hmm. like 10, 20,000 people. Like those mm-hmm. are big tents doing like miracles right? and prophecy and right. healings. And the and the media would show up, the press would show up. But it was, it was, and I don't think they would ever say like, hey, look what I can do. Mm. But it was kind of like this, you know, they'd be in the newspaper, like, right. like come out and see the evangelist and their name. Right. And so now comparing that to like Jesus, mm. Like, what did Jesus do? He basically started a school right off the bat. Mm. Like, instead of, because Jesus could have done that. He could have been like, you know, I am the man. I'm spending all my time mm-hmm. doing works of ministry. But he really didn't do that. Really, what he mm. did, the very first thing that he did is he found 12, 12 mm-hmm. disciples, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. his 12 students. Right. You know, because 
uh, rather than building this platform where I'm going to be here on earth forever, right. he's like, I'm, I'm only going to be here three years and I'm going to hand this whole industry over to you. I'm mm-hmm. going to hand this whole movement over to you. And, uh, and so I think that now it's pretty cool because there's been a shift from instead of like, hey, look at me, look, look what I can do, mm-hmm. you know, right. <laughs> it's like, uh, hey, I like, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in me yep. and I want to take everything that I know and I want to impart it into this next generation yeah. because um, I don't want this thing just to be, I, like I want to be a part of a, a movement. I want there to be a legacy. And so yep. even within the arts, you can see oftentimes the, the 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 like in the different scenes the people where it's like hey look at me look what I can mm-hmm, do mm-hmm. versus those people that are like hey I've done a lot of great stuff but now it's time to impart yeah, yeah I think it's really interesting because I think the culture around DJing and the culture around the arts and anything that kind of came up the same way that DJing came up in the sense that there was Initially, the um, advantage, the competitive advantage was knowledge. Okay. Right? So, like, if I knew something and you didn't, then now I'm going to have a leg up on you. And now... I'm, that's my way of like weeding out the competition. Is and would by, you have to kind of protect like these industry secrets because it's what kind of sets you a, a, yeah, apart? Yeah, that was that was definitely, and I think still to this day, there's like residual um, attitudes that like, sure. sound like that. You know, where I remember when when I um, had first brought Scratch DJ Academy from New York to LA, and we had opened up a school in LA, and this was in 2004. I remember getting a decent amount of pushback from like friends in the industry that are just like, "What are you? What are you doing? Like, you're just gonna How give you? everybody these <laughs> yeah. secrets and yeah. like what?" Like you're you're gonna be a part of this problem. Like there's wow. a undercutting of gigs and like granted, like there's some truth to that. Like there are people that are out there that will go out and buy some equipment today and will, you know, DJ somebody's party tonight for free or for twenty five bucks or sure. whatever. And sure. like that's definitely not what like a going rate would be. That's not the way to go about it. But the way that I saw it was that I'm in a position and we're all in this position. Any of us who are at a certain level are in a position to be able to change that by giving people access to it and by trying to show people this is this is how you would do this. And like, let's give people access to it as opposed to keeping these like secrets guarded. And if we keep this guarded, then that's where the culture dies. Like the culture will not survive if we choose to hold on to it. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that that's amazing, and and I just love that the idea of because um, I think what you what you were doing is like basically establishing these schools and, and working with kind of like urban kids and different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Them. I mean, and a little bit of everything. I mean, we had um, you know we don't necessarily serve one particular community, and I think because at the time when we were building these schools out. Um, it was still such a new thing. I mean, even still to this day, I tell people that like I've built DJ schools for the last 15 years and people are just like, wait, what? Like I've never even heard of such right. a thing, you know? Right. And so now though, I've moved into a really interesting space. I've like moved into this like season in my life where I believe that like I've served um, a decent amount of people. Like mm-hmm. I've had thousands of people come through the school. And I think that that's been great. 
however, I do believe that there's a lot of people that I haven't been able to serve. And I think that there's a lot of people that are very interested in learning this, but the barrier of entry is so high. I mean, you need to have you need to have the equipment, you need to have somebody to show you what's going on. Like even with our school that we had like built, I mean, there's an access point, like there's a price tag on it. There's like, you know, location wise, there's that challenge. Like unless you're in this specific place, you may not be able to relocate and do all of that. So um, yeah, I'm really excited about some of the new stuff that I'm working on because I really am feeling this like pull to just be able to like open up the floodgates and say, hey, this is everything that I know. Come and take part in it. Yeah. yeah. You were just in Las Vegas with a bunch of Microsoft executives. Yeah. Oh, in New York. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 New York. Yeah. And um, teaching them how to DJ. <laughs> I, and, and like, yeah, I mean, to me, I, I have a new thing where I have a new project where um, I'm teaching people how to DJ where all they need is their phone. That's all they need. They don't need like a full rig just to understand like the basics to start to put stuff together. And honestly, I could legit DJ an entire party, an entire set off of my phone. Yeah. At this point in time, people kind of look at me a little bit crazy because it would not seem like I know what I'm doing. But like what's coming out of the speaker would sound as if I was on a $6,000 You paid this guy to hit play? Right. Yeah. (laughs) And and yet all the concepts are the same. Interesting. Um, to me, that's one of the biggest projects that I'm working on. I have a campaign called Start to DJ, and it really is just about that. We did a big um, push here in L.A. over the summer where we were going into the Los Angeles Public Library and teaching kids how to DJ inside of the Amazing. library. Amazing. For free. They just could walk in and like be a part of this program um, and yet be able to still then learn something, then go home on the same phone or on the iPad or whatever they already have they're not trying to bug mom and dad for like, hey, now you got to go out and buy all this equipment. And now, because that was a big barrier of entry, still is to this day. Yeah. You know, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, hey, diving into your own uh, kind of spiritual journey. Yeah. Um, what has this relationship with God looked like for you? Um, maybe looking at where your, your own childhood development and mm-hmm. kind of your grid for God mm-hmm. uh, versus, you know, versus kind of some of the stuff that you're coming into now. Yeah, I grew up. Um, I grew up in San Francisco and I grew up a part of the Presbyterian Church. Awesome. And was involved in that until sort of I moved away for school. I moved to uh, LA for school and then just kind of like didn't find a rhythm here mm-hmm. with that. Um, and always, you know, never was I not a believer. Like there was always this in me that like I still believe, but in terms of like the actual practice of it, had kind of fallen off. So you like like ever like at, at your youngest age, you, you always just had this sense that there is a God. Mm. Yeah, as far as I recall, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I think it was. You know, this has definitely been this rebirth for me more recently in the last. I guess if I had to pinpoint in the last like two years or so hmm. where there's been this like renewed faith in, in, in everything that's been going on, I feel like I've sort of hit this point in my life in which like I, I call it a midlife crisis or whatever you want, like, but it was like this point in time where I was taking inventory on what mattered. Um, and this is actually even more recently as of like nine months ago. Wow. And looking at like, okay, what matters in my life? What what does the next, you know, 
10, 15, 40 years look like for me? And I think having kids did that. Um, I think, you know, just being in this position of like being in uh, a space where I felt like I needed to be more challenged. I needed to move forward in a different way. And God played a big part in that. And then I started to like, as I was getting into that, and my wife is a huge support for me. And I think for us, there is, we have an amazing partnership. And I feel like what she brings to my life is a complete complement to what it is that I already have and vice versa. And I think we really are able to like lean on one another. And I think for us coming back together with that and with God in the center of all of that, I think that's really made a huge difference this time around. Yeah. 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 Cause that, I would imagine that in the same way that your guys' personalities are diverse, mm-hmm. but really complement each other, that your own relationship with God would be very diverse yeah. and yet really complement each other. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I I get jealous of her sometimes because the way that God speaks to her is different than the way that God speaks to me. And then I have to like check myself and then all of these things, you know, line themselves up. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, God is talking to me and, and Jesus is here, but like in a different way. And it's going to be different for me than it is with her. And like to for me to find my own path in that and to be able to figure my own relationship out in that way, I think that that's... That's been my main focus currently. Yeah, is all of that, dude. And that, like, that's amazing. Like, that's amazing just to hear you say that because there's so many guys um, in in the in the church, and they just feel they feel dwarfed by their by their wife's spirituality. Mm. You know, so many times it's kind of like mom is like is the is the prayer war mm-hmm. warrior, the giant, the one that's always like, hey, you know, don't eat that fruit until we bless it first. Right, know? right, right. And, and typically, dad's just kind of like, you know, yeah, you know, you know, do what just, your mom says. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. But I think that for a lot of the times, um, when when you have these women that are very extroverted in their mm-hmm. faith, sometimes as a guy, it's kind of like I don't even know how I can, yeah, like totally, like, why, well, like you know, if that's what spirituality looks like, I can't, I can't be that, I can't mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's so cool to be able to have like a conversation like this, where it's like I don't have to compare my spirituality right to you. Like it's awesome. This dynamic that you have is amazing. Right. But I have just as real of a dynamic, but it looks radically different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's. You know, I mean, to be completely honest, I mean, I think like I've I've felt what you just described. You know, I've been there and I've felt that way. And there's still times every now and then where she's like, I've got a word like I just it's like I just got off the phone with God. He just told me this, you know, and it's just like, okay, all right. And so, you know, and I think God speaks to me through her. But you and I have even talked about this a, a little bit where it's like I I can fall into that and be complacent in that and just be like, cool. So she is my, I have to go through her in order to have this relationship. And I could have that mentality Um, or I could shift that a little bit and just be like, okay, I, yes, I have that relationship, but I also have this other relationship that's here. And um, yeah. And then I think we also have this relationship where it's us together with God. And then even our kids, like the other day, uh, or it was like, probably several months ago, my, our youngest daughter said like we were watching Stephen Furtick and Elevation Church online and cool. uh, we were in like a hotel room like doing that. And um, Irie looks out the window and she just starts waving and she's like, I'm waving to Jesus. Jesus is outside. He's right there. <laughs> and, awesome. you know, so even awesome. like through our kids, it's been really interesting. And that's been really interesting for me as a, 
as a man and as a father because my father was never like you had mentioned like it wasn't something that he was outwardly like expressive about um with me sure and with my sister sure yeah. sure um uh, and so speaking of that speaking of you know you brought your dad up but yeah. like okay so not only are you creating art yep and then you're teaching people how to do this right starting djs in schools and now even creating djing apps and, and yep. all this kind yep. of stuff but you recently launched a podcast yes a tribe called dad a tribe called dad <laughs> yeah, yeah and and that's what you're doing is you're hosting these conversations about what does it mean to be a father yeah and so tell us a little bit about that like, tell us like kind of what inspired that this whole this whole thing yeah i mean i think you know back to this like new chapter this new season of what's going on for me i think like i've felt drawn to this it originally like when i trace it back it is it can be traced back to some of the work that my wife has laid like she laid this foundation and she started paving this road um and that was that was inspired her and a friend of mine i connected the two of them when they were both pregnant they were both pregnant at the same time with the first kids and they found comfort in one another and found that they were you know they would get involved in some of these mom groups and these mom groups were not inclusive enough okay. and didn't yeah. feel inclusive enough. And they kind of felt like they were being like pushed out and that there weren't many resources for moms that were like them to be able to share. So they, they set out to create a show and I helped them create a radio show um, that ran for probably like three years called Mom Life Yo. And they would have like different guests on. So different moms, different like uh, mom entrepreneurs and just like other like you know uh, a therapist on a behavioral therapist like all of this it was yeah. just like great information and yeah. I'm sitting there and I'm you know I'm in charge of like the technical stuff of like you know running the board on their show and just making sure that everything goes off without a hitch and I'm there sort of serving as like a bit of a producer on what they're creating and you know the whole time I'm just like soaking up what is happening and you know then we ended up creating kind of like a little dad corner in their show and so it was like i'm the only guy in the room and it's like well, <laughs> what does he think about this you yeah, know and the dad consultant right it's so just like let consultant. me speak for all men <laughs> yeah, totally. and here it is um and so that uh that got the response from that though was was really great and people were like this is amazing there is nothing like this now all these mom things had popped up and podcasting was still pretty new at the time and you know they were they were definitely early on in that even mom podcasting movement and but there was nothing for dads i mean virtually nothing for dads and so um yeah like we were having conversations i was having some conversations with different friends and um, a friend of mine who's also a dj and has a son um, we had been talking about collaborating for a while now and I brought this idea up to him and he was just kind of like, I love it. Like, let's figure this out. And it was just us kind of going back and forth for a while. And so we created this podcast called the tribe called dad. And more than anything, it is about facilitating conversations amongst men, um, about fatherhood and men of all different walks of life. We tend to, um, you know, highlight people that kind of have your nine to five job, you know, like guys that are like non-traditional dads um, and just trying to showcase the spectrum of like what a good dad looks like, wow. you know, and, and also at the same time being able to like, you know, give people those tools, give dads some of those tools and, 
and create a space in which it's safe to have these conversations. You yeah, know? yeah. It seems like right now, um, this is self improvement or self development mm -hmm. is a huge is a huge. And you see all the master classes all over, mm -hmm. all over social, and yep. and you can you can get mentored to do just about anything. Yeah. But why do you think it is that like that men will do all kinds of courses and classes on 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 everything imaginable. Right. But why do you think that like fatherhood development is not typically something that that we even think about? I don't I it's I've been trying to wrap my head around this a bit and I know that it's going to come and I know some of like what we're building is is already starting to do that. But to me I think like there's probably a couple of things even if when I look at myself, I think there's a sense of pride that exists there. I think there's also a sense of like just what our roles are yeah. in society like and what society has dictated our roles to be um where sort of more traditionally the father figure is the one that is the breadwinner and is you know going to work from nine to five and like you know maybe makes it home for dinner mm -hmm. and it's just like there's this whole like society like uh the social norms that have been placed on that and so i think it's not a popular idea right now for a dad to be like, yeah, I'm going to this live podcast. Tape, you know? <laughs> I'm going to this live podcast tape to talk about our feelings and talk about like, <laughs> you know, uh, better ways that like ways that I could be a better dad, you know, but yet at the same time, I feel like there are so many dads that I know of that are open to this idea. And I think it really is just about that. And I feel very fortunate and, um, and very, I'm very grateful for this opportunity to be somebody who's able to go in and start to plant some of these seeds. And I think that, you know, years from now, years from now, we're going to look back on this and we'll have a follow-up conversation about it and be like, remember when we were talking about how, like, it wasn't cool or popular to, like, talk about fatherhood? Now everybody is talking about fatherhood, you know, and I think that that will definitely happen. You know, and I think that there's also some really interesting things that are happening in our world right now that are allowing for that. Um, one of which is technology, which is allowing us to be a lot more mobile. We're recording this podcast, not in a podcast studio. Right. You know, right, like right. this is something where you traveled with your rig mobily. Like this is something that you can do in different places. I mean, I remember my dad like not being able to. He had to be in the office to answer the phone because mm. totally, there was no totally, other way totally. you had to be there. Right. You know, and now I think like the, the fact that we can work mobily and remotely, I think that that opens up some opportunities for working dads and working moms to be around a lot more and be a lot more present. And then I think also like there's just um, a lot that's happening with this like equal rights movement, this women's equal rights movement um, in the workforce that I think is going to have like this other effect on dads being home more. Like, I think that'll yeah, happen too. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, because I think the old school thought, like the even the subconscious thought is kind of this primal caveman kind of like, like I got my club, yep. I'll be gone all day. Yeah. And I'm not going to come back until I come back with an animal that I killed. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And then when I come back, because I was on my feet, because I was trying to kill this saber-toothed tiger all day, <laughs> right. like, when I come back, don't expect much out of me. No. Like, right. I just risked my life to get this saber-toothed tiger. Right. In fact, keep the kids away from me. Yep. Like, when I come back, I just want to... in my little corner. I want to yeah. turn the TV on. Yeah. I want to watch the news, and I want my beer. Yep. You know, so, like, let's make this happen. You know, mm -hmm. so there's kind of this, like, you know, and... Um, uh, 
so I think that th there's a lot of re residual carryover mm -hmm. programming mm -hmm. that 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 for us, what's the win look like for a dad? Mm -hmm. Like 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 it's 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 kind of because with the old school like mom raises the kids, mm -hmm. and if it gets really really bad there will you'll you will see your dad mm -hmm. you know so it's, right, so it's like right. it's like yeah, disciplinary yeah yeah, yeah yeah and you'll see the wrath of dad so right. behold the the goodness of mom and the severity of dad right you know good right. cop bad cop kind right. of a thing so but when you, again lo looking at god looking at the character and nature of god yeah as a father yeah and then looking at the relationship that jesus had with his father mm -hmm. and everything that he did was as a son unto his father mm -hmm. you see this incredibly healthy father-son dynamic that's mm -hmm. played out mm -hmm. that's radically counter-cultural mm -hmm. all the way going through uh, like american culture all the way up to uh, up to the present like right. still you don't see these relationships where you see a father and son working together to change the world mm -hmm. like that's so rare mm -hmm. even today yeah so i like i guess if i was to phrase that into some sort of question you know for the modern dad what is what does the win look like? Is the win like, hey, the lights are on, leave right. me alone? Right. You know, like like, or what does involvement look like? Like, what 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 is this? What is a standard for a dad look like? Yeah, I think I mean the more I have conversations with dads, because you know this is still very new for me, even in having these types of conversations with other dads. But the more I have conversations with a, a pretty wide spectrum of dads, I'm able to like pull a lot of this data together and be like, okay. We all do want the same thing, which is we want to feel like there's a role that is important that you're serving. You want to have this like connection to your kids. You mm -hmm. want to have this like healthy relationship with your partner. Like you want all of those things, yet you also want to be successful in the sense that like you're providing for your family like there's still that too like the father as the provider right and i think like now more than ever i i feel like there are men that i'm having conversations with that realize that provider doesn't stop at the financial part of it or oh, like good. roof over the head that's really like good. that like you're there's other things that you bring to the table that you provide wow by just even physically being present by you know having some sort of involvement in what's going on and um yeah i think that the win for me i think that the win is to be well-rounded to that degree and to be a provider like on all of those levels um and ultimately i think at the end of the day i think like a lot of dads need to know that um that they don't have to have it all dialed in like that it is going to be a constant work in progress and that like the um some of the concerns or the fears that you have when it comes to being a provider that those things will be provided for you that like we have help right like to me that was a huge thing in my faith was like knowing that there's i have a father as well that is helping me in this and is helping to guide me through this and will provide for us um and and that that's even one of the one of me. the names of god you know yeah. jehovah jireh my provider it's actually one of his names so that's pretty that's pretty powerful when you yeah. think about that yeah absolutely absolutely and i think like i think when you when i've been able to like take that off of my shoulders i've been able then to 
look and take that pressure off and then really be a lot more present as a father, be a lot more engaged as a father to my own kids in that moment because now I'm not so stressed about but I've got to take this call but I've got to make this happen because that needs to this needs to happen so that this can happen and you know for me it's been really about trying to relinquish a lot of that control that like I've had like this stranglehold on wow you know, and, I, and I feel the same from a lot of fathers that I talk to is that you feel like you need to have everything together you need to be this like have all the answers for what this is and ultimately yeah. I think that's where we kind of go wrong yeah. yeah, man, it's so good. And I really appreciate, um, I want to honor the point that you said that providing isn't just providing for financial needs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, that provision looks a lot more than, and I just think of, I don't know the scripture verse off the top of my head, but my, like, my God will provide for all my needs mm. according to his riches and glory. Like, um, I'm just thinking about like our our role in providing for our kids, even emotional needs. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, a pastor named John Piper, mm. this reform this reform guy, and like and uh, really followed his work for a while. And I heard him speak once at a conference, and he was talking about being a dad. Mm. And he said something that really that really impacted me. But he's talking about like how men are are tend to be more factual in their transactions. Mm kind of like, what are the facts? Right. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. And uh, and he was talking about the relationship with, with his kids of pressing through that that fact barrier hmm. in order to, to get to where the feelings are at. And one of the things that he would do, like with his daughters, is like at night he would find out like what what they did, you know, yep. throughout the day. Yep. I don't know why, you know, but he'd be like, yeah, so what did you do, right? And then he'd get the fact, but then he'd say, so how'd that make you feel? Mm. Like pressing through mm-hmm. the, the just the fact to, to get at the heart of his child, to mm-hmm. discover the heart of his child, and then to allow his heart to begin to engage with the heart of his child. And I was like, here's a guy that's like in his 70s. He's, he's, from, the, he's from the old school mm-hmm. way of thinking, and, but that, that somewhere he got this revelation of pressing through, mm-hmm. you know. And it also go back to God, like, that's kind of God that we have. It's not about like, what did you do? What didn't you do? Like, you're not measuring up. Right. Like, bad, bad dad. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of times that's how we feel. We feel like the culture is shaming us yep. or like, or religion shaming us or right. the church is shaming us or, or we feel even sh- uh, like a spousal shame. Yeah. Even if our spouse yeah. isn't shaming us, yep. we still feel that that pressure. And I, th- and I think that it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to kind of navigate navigate through you absolutely know? there was a i read some sort of a an article uh years ago that said the number one fear of women having kid after having kids is body image like that's the number one fear of like will my body be back to wow. where i need sure. to be in sure. like, the physical thing the number one fear of men after having kids is financial interesting yeah and that there's this huge like financial burden that now you're factoring in. And I don't know if that's just, if that's nurture, if that's nature, if it's a little bit of both, but mm-hmm. like there's something that's there that like I feel like we tend to put that pressure on ourselves. And yeah, I agree. Like I think especially when it comes to understanding what you're providing for your kids, you know, I, I mean, I know my parents had spent, you know, a fortune on raising myself and my sister. But the thing that's probably prominent to me with my own dad was the fact that there were vacations that we would go on and he wouldn't come. Okay. And because he was working. Yeah. And that made it, that's left a huge impact 
wow. on me. Wow. And wow. sure, like from a factual perspective, he, he listed off everything that he had paid for and provided for. Like, I mean, the list would be huge. It would be enormous, right? And then at the same time, none of that took the place of him not being there for these particular moments that happen. And I think about that a lot with my own, in my own fatherhood of mm. like, you know, like, do my kids really care? Like about that, like, oh yeah, but like, sure, I've, this is, the, the lights are on because of this or that. Like, they just know that I can't be there. And so I think for me, and granted it's, you know, it's all, none of it is black or white. Like there, all of these decisions, you just kind of have to, you know, weigh out and factor out. It's obviously work, takes me away from them sometimes and that's a part of that right but like how can i then balance that out when i'm there and still provide emotionally for them and provide the support that i know that they need especially as a dad especially as a dad of two girls like that to me i think is really important that i'm setting this example of who they like look to in a man right like that's a huge thing absolutely massive and also the fact that you're not always there because you have to work. That's also modeling something yeah. in a very positive way yeah. in that a lot of times little girls end up marrying someone just like their dad. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome if you had a good dad. Right. But uh, that's not very awesome if you had a bad dad. Right. You know. Right. And so it's kind of like so I think one thing that's cool about that is if we can model healthy work life. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm not going to be there because I'm going to be at work. That's the kind of guy that you want your daughter to marry, mm -hmm. I think. Right. right? Like, right. this is a dude that's working. Right. You know, he's providing for my daughter. Yes, my daughter's the family. Yes, they better have uh, uh, somebody who has, who's able to provide for them, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a big part of that. Yeah. I mean, just being a dad, like, like, I, like I would never judge, like, if, if there's a dude that's like a stay at home dad, mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to judge him. You know what I'm saying? Right. But, like, but if I knew that my daughter was working and then her husband was just watching Netflix all day, right. I'd be like knocking on the door, right? Yeah. I'd be like, all right, all right, dude, it's time to get, time, <laughs> time to get job, yeah. you know? Yeah. Start, you know start selling t shirts on yeah. Shopify. So I'm not going to judge something. you yeah. unless you try to marry my daughter. Right, right. <laughs> then I'll get kind of judgy. <laughs> well, and, I, and I think there's just, it's, it's about finding that balance, right? I think it's, it really is about finding that balance. And I think we're redefining like the roles totally. right now. And, totally. I, and I think that there, there's less of, um, you know, even T and I had gone through this in our own relationship of just even like keeping score. Wow. And there was this whole thing that like wow. really helped us of like eliminating the scorecards. That's awesome. Yeah. That's because so good. it was very easy to be like, I've washed the dishes. Now this is five days this week that I've washed the dishes. Totally. Totally. And you've washed them zero. Right. And like you're, that's there. And like that's definitely on your mind. And then you're bringing that into everything that you're a part of. And like, even with your kids, like I feel like it's easy to do that even with your kids is like to like pull out the scorecard with your kids and deal with it in that way where it's like, well, I've been here three days out of the week. So that wow. should be enough. Wow. Wow. Right? It should be enough for you. Yeah, that's really good. So I don't know. I think it's uh, it, it's really it's really an interesting time, I think, right now. And like for me, um, this is a huge part of where my heart is at and it's a huge part of what I feel like. I have this um, ability to be able to try to help 
too is to help facilitate some of these conversations and try to draw this out of of people yeah it's awesome you know i think that like what you're talking about like technology can enable us to do things in a positive way Mm -hmm. for our families Mm -hmm. that we've never been able to do before but it can also be one of those things where you know because in the old days you'd work eight to five or whatever Mm -hmm. uh, eight to six right and then you're done done. right and you'd go home and then you'd do whatever you're gonna do when you get home but now it's almost like the office never closes yeah I've actually, um, so I am a big fan of this and I just started doing this and I'm starting to teach this, but I'm starting to teach time blocking. Okay. Um, so like taking a calendar and really looking at balancing out, like setting actual blocks of time mm-hmm. that you're going to dedicate for different things, um, include like including stuff for you stuff for your family, stuff for work, and like really taking a look at your overall schedule. And then what I've done in my, uh, in my teaching of this is I'm color coordinating, like it's all done in Google Calendar, and then like I'm color coordinating the, uh, the different blocks. You, you can be my consultant, I, bro. I would love to, I would love to. And like, but the different colors of the blocks for me represent like things that are important to me. So I think one thing that we So you're prioritizing the, you're prioritizing the colors and Yeah, and you well, so the the main idea here is that you're prioritizing your values and then you're having your schedule reflect what your values are. Amazing. Versus the other way around. Right? Of of then just like, well, this is important right now, so I'm just going to like focus on everything that I need to do here and then you end up living this unfulfilled life. Of them being like, well, the reason why I'm unfulfilled is because I've spent this much time on me, and this much time on my family, and this much time on work, and now I have resentment towards that, or now I feel guilty about it, or whatnot. So for me, I color coordinate them to reflect these different values, and then at a glance, I can look at it and then just be like, okay, cool, so it's about where I would like the colors to be. Hmm. Like when I I take a glance at the week. It's really good. Yeah, it's Um, really good. And, you know, I, it's so interesting because, uh, you know, even guys like Tim Ferriss who wrote the four hour work week yeah, or whatever, yeah, right? Like yeah. it's this really interesting concept of like, we have this really, I don't know what really created this, right? But like, we're looking at this as like, okay, a full-time job is 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Right. Therefore, but for what? Right. Like, is right. that, who dictated that? Right. right? Like, right. It, and especially today, like that doesn't necessarily make any sense. That has nothing to do with efficiency. Right. You could be sitting at a desk doing nothing for six hours. Totally, you know? totally. Um, so, and I feel like the same is true of like the other things that happen in life. So it's like I could be, you know, saying, "Hey, I want to, I want to focus on my family and spend time with my family." But like you're in the den watching TV when you're at home, technically, yeah, and not engaged with your kids. And it doesn't mean that you need to be with them for six hours, like doing something. And it's a lot. It's so interesting because again, same thing about being efficient and working efficiently, you could do something with your kids that maybe takes three minutes, but changes everything. It's something that they'll remember, like how you were just talking about, where it's like, instead of just letting it stop at, what did you do today? You go a layer deeper, and then now your kid is just like, oh, like we're now connected. And that was three minutes. That wasn't like I need to stop everything absolutely. to do this. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Yeah. You know, it's interesting being a pastor. So in my office, uh, there's not even a desk in my office. Right. It's like if you come into my office, it, it looks like a, basically a, a living room. It's right. set up just for a conversation. And because I got rid of the desk because I was never using it. It I just became a, a crap holder, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. um, uh, 
so this is kind of interesting because now when I work at home, I work at a desk. Yeah. So I got my I got my computer set up there. So what? So this is kind of what what happens for me in in the dynamic of of pastoring. My schedule, my my forty hours, if you will, mm-hmm. is just constant meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's just le- uh, leading leaders who are leading leaders. Just mm-hmm. these conversations, mm-hmm. organizational conversations. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. That's great. Meetings are important, right? Right. But but the place where I get work done is at home. Mm. Actually, at a at, 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 at a, a desk. desk. So yeah. I'm trying to figure out what I'm having to do is figure out that, okay, that's great. If you're going to create content at home, it has to be when the kids are sleeping right. or when the kids are at school or right. something, right. or I got to start blocking out time to actually yeah. go home yep. to work on content, making that a part of my work. So I, I I'd realized just recently that even if that that I'm at home, but I'm still at work, yeah, because because that's where I get my work done is at home, because when I'm at the church, it's just it's yeah, it's, it's all organizational management. Yeah, and I think some of that too is like I I had a similar issue because when I was at the schools and doing that, it was a very similar situation where it's just like I felt like I couldn't get things done because I was constantly being pulled into this mm-hmm. or that. Mm-hmm. And I think more recently, what I've done with like some of this time blocking is like I've allocated certain time for these particular things. Mm-hmm. Like I'll give myself this amount of time, and I kind of play a game with myself to see if I can actually get it done in that time allotted. So a lot of times, that's, like, that's great. That's I'll take really a task, good. right, and I'll say like, all right, well, we need to edit this podcast and get this one podcast up, get it edited and get it put up. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm going to have to do that or whatever. So it's like, how long will that take me? Well, it'll probably take me about 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Of, like dedicated time and then it's just like about really spending that time fully dedicated and fully present because multitasking is just not possible that's right like it's it's a complete myth right and like there's no possible way that you could be as efficient focusing on six different things at the same time um or six different apps Right, or six different apps, <laughs> right? Yeah, or six different tabs. Like in my browser, still, I'm working on that. But like my browser, it's like I've got 30 tabs open at the same time. But like you can never be in all 30 at once. No, right. So, um, so what I've also done then is I've like allotted certain parts of the day for meetings, and and now people know this. And a big part of this um, is also being able to get buy-in from all of your stakeholders. So like anybody that's important to you, so that they understand this is your routine. This is your this is how this works in your world. So like for the most part, like the world won't fall apart if it's sure. if you're not there for that one moment, sure. right? And if it's scheduled out, and you can say, hey, I'm going to dedicate this time for us being here together. Like they'll also see the benefit of that as well in that like, oh, you're you're not distracted. You're not trying to do all this other stuff. You're right here. And um, yeah, that's been helpful at home. That's been helpful at work for me. And it's something that I'm trying to share with other people, just like how to do it. Because the busier you get, right? Then Absolutely. You- you well, you certainly have a gift, man. Like in this particular, in this podcast, has got way more practical than, yeah, I, ever, right. than I ever thought we were going to get. You <laughs> right, know? right. It's like I'm being mentored right now. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. It's so awesome. Yeah, I, I to me, I think it's just about being able to take a lot of these gifts and these things that I've been able to like see and grab. And like one of the things that I know that I've been given a gift from God for is to be able to take complex concepts. And be able to try to whittle them down and distill them down to very simple ways of doing things. And to be able to like 
share those with other people that hopefully they can put into practice, whether that be something artistic, whether it be something practical or whatnot, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Man, I, I, I'm excited about what God has uh, f- for you, for T, uh, uh, to come. I know you guys are talking about some crazy, crazy <laughs> stuff, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's, there's some really wild things that like we're just. I feel like being called to, and there's just we're open to it, and it's so interesting because I will say this: like for a long time, T and I were not able to work together. <laughs> Um, I don't know if she talked about this. No, okay, no, so no. I'll tell this story because I didn't want to tell <laughs> yeah. her, to retell it. But yeah. um, people will be able to relate to this, I'm yeah. sure. So we were going um, on a. I had to go speak at something in San Diego, which is about uh, two and a half hours, three hours from LA. Yeah, we're on the way. This is before kids. We were, we weren't married yet. We we're just dating, and we're going on this trip. And we started to you know play the whole thing of like playing music for each other and whatnot. And as there was a song that was playing, I said uh, something to the effect of, I think that the chorus is all wrong here. I think that the bridge should really be the chorus, and th- it's way catchier. Like, I feel like yeah. – th- And yeah. she was just like, what? Like, no, the, the bridge is the bridge, and the chorus is the chorus, and that's the way they wrote it. Like, they wrote it for that reason. Yeah. And I was just like, well, th- no, it, they, they got it wrong. It's dumb. And, <laughs> and I don't understand why they would even do that. Right. But that's all right. I'll just fix it, yeah. and I'll I'll make it what I what it should be. Yeah. And I'll re. And she was just like, "What? what? No, then it won't even make any sense. You're like, <laughs> you're restructuring this." And I was like, "Yeah. I mean, I it's easy. I I'll bang this out real quick and just do that." And she was like, "What?" And I and I was like, "No, because the vibe of it will be better this way." And she was like, "Yeah, but the lyrical <laughs> awesome. content won't make any sense." And I was like, "Nobody cares about the <laughs> lyrics." <laughs> Famous last words. Totally shouldn't have said that. It was like, awesome. it was horrible to yeah. say to a songwriter yeah. that yeah. lyrics don't matter. Right. Nobody cares about the. Right. She started crying, and instantly, as she started crying, I was like, oh, wow. Like, I said the wrong thing. This is all bad. Anyways, long story short, she she's not talking to me anymore, and we're not listening to music anymore. And all of a sudden, I start seeing the Mexican flag on the horizon getting really close. And I'm just like, this doesn't seem right. And she was navigating yeah. for me. And I was like, this doesn't seem right. And I'm like, hey, hey, this doesn't seem right. And she was just like not talking to me, you know, like yeah. head down, not talking yeah. to me, just so upset. Yeah. Probably contemplating whether or not we should even be together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Hey, I think we're going into Mexico. So we end up in Tijuana. Oh, no. Yeah. We missed the last exit, the last US exit, end up like pulling up to the border, like, just pulling up to the border. You know, military holding like, you know, a a giant gun. And I'm just like, hey, so we're not trying to go into Mexico. Can we just turn around? Yeah. He's like, no, you can't just turn around. Now you're in another country. No. Yeah, you can turn around once you get in that country and then get through customs and come back in. And, and so T speaks. No, there's no U-turn. And T does. T speaks Spanish. Yeah. I don't speak Spanish. Instantly, yeah. I was just like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, let's like let's figure this out. We yeah. got to figure this out. Uh, anyways, was late to the uh, to the speaking thing. Actually, missed the speaking engagement. Oh no. Had a had a crazy story to show for it. And then we vowed to like, all right, we cannot talk about music together ever again really like yeah we cannot do vow. this wow and yeah. and you know you, you 
let's agree to disagree. Like, let's just not touch that. That we won't will be a part of that. We will never work on music That's together it. again. Not, not yeah. anymore. Boundaries. Um, and, you know, I mean, years later, uh, we really didn't start working on music together until after we started having kids. Wow. Um, and I think at that point, point in time like you know we just both got over our own things and we're able to like see each other for what that was and see that like we really were each other's compliment and that you know what the way that i saw this was different than the way that she saw it but provided like more depth to what we were seeing and vice versa and to me i mean i I play everything for her. Everything that I'm working on, I play for her. I like value her opinion of what she has and also know that she's going to think of it in a different way. And I want I don't want her to yes me either and just be like this was amazing. So, yeah, I mean, we've got some stuff that is coming that we're just working on that I feel like all of this is coming together for and we're able to like take our talents and like really put them in the pot together and sort of stir this thing up and and see what comes out of it i'm excited man yeah how about you are uh you're a rare breed man yeah and yeah. just so you appreciate too. you just sitting down and just diving into this this conversation absolutely and uh like i said i, I, I feel like i just got mentored today um, <laughs> uh we're going to be following you of course on social yep. put all your stuff in in the show notes for people to to follow, but also just to be praying for you. Uh, yes, you're, you're on the front lines of, of technology, uh, music, and education. And uh, so, yeah, we'll be praying for you and covering you and, and cheering you on as you as you advance. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we'll and have to do this again. Me. Yeah. We'll, we'll go deeper on some of this stuff. Absolutely. you got to come on the Dad Podcast. The, a tribe should, called you should, Dad. Yeah, you should come on a tribe called Dad, too. We should do that That'd as well. That'd be fun. That'd yeah, be fun. I, for I sure. feel like we flirted with the tribe called yes, Dad today. Yeah. But we'll, but we'll go all the way there. Okay. Next awesome. Time. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Hey, Hello. much love, man. Yes, you too, man. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. Listen, before you go, it'd be mighty fine of you if you take a second or two to go into iTunes and rate and review this podcast. Reviews are a big deal. It's what helps us be set apart. So if you take that second or two to rate and review us, you can give us one star, and that means that you think this thing is kind of lame. Or you can give us five stars, and that means that you think this thing is dope. It's tight. It's righteous. It's off the flipping chain. So... If you do that, that'd be amazing. Also put in some words like, oh my goodness, the Supernatural Podcast show is like the best thing ever. I, 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 I can't believe I didn't start listening to this sooner. Everybody needs to listen. All right, well, you, <laughs> you get the idea. Listen, we love you. We're cheering you on. Keep going after the things of God. We'll see you soon.